0: Thanks very much, Helen. I feel so little. Look at this. It's like super tall. I'm like, tiny little me can barely see over the top, so we're going to... Whoa! <laughs> That's overdone it. That's overdone it. Alright, alright. Stay. There we go. That Feeling good about that? Hi, my name... It's like a comedy show, isn't it? I didn't do that until... All right, right, stay. Right. My name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege to help us try and learn together from the Bible um, this morning. Now, the last couple of weeks, we stepped away from Matthew's gospel, from his biography of Jesus, for a few weeks to celebrate Easter, which is the critical foundation for our faith in the death. And the resurrection of Jesus. Now we're going to dive back in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a kind of quick catch up. Um, So, you know, this is like a previously in Matthew's Gospel section. Okay, so previously in Matthew's Gospel, we're looking at this famous set of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And we saw that this is Jesus setting out his blueprint for his kingdom of transformed hearts. The blueprint, this kind of picture of what it's meant to be like for a kingdom made up of people whose hearts have been transformed. And he begins by encouraging the hopeless, the hurting, the powerless, those who long for things to be different. He encourages them. He says, things will be made right. He says, in fact, God is going to turn this whole world upside down. That hunger you have for righteousness, it's going to be filled. And we talked about how, how that's going to happen. He's going to change the world out there through changing our hearts in here. The world out there through changing our hearts in here, inside his people. And we saw there'd be evidence of this change, right? We saw we'd expect to see shoots of growth sticking up above the ground from the seed that he's planted in us of a changed heart. A people who are increasingly merciful. A people who are increasingly pure. a, A people who are increasingly peacemaking. We saw now some are going to hate and oppose this, and there is real opposition in our world. But at the same time, we saw these salty different people, these good deeds shining out of the changed heart, the light inside. These are going to lead people to praise its source. They're going to glorify your Father in heaven. Now, that's the setup. That's what we're up to. It's quite a lot, isn't it? And that's 16 verses, okay? And then what we have today, what we're going to be thinking about together today... Is like the foundation. It's like the underlying principle. This is like, we're going to build on this for weeks and weeks to come. So this is a really important piece. This teaching is going to describe what are these good deeds? How do these good deeds come about? They're going to lead to praise for God, their source. It's going to, after this, we're going to get details of how to live in God's kingdom. So it's really important we try and get clear about what Jesus is saying here. And also clear on what he's not Saying here, so come with me to Matthew, um, chapter five and verse seventeen. Matthew five, seventeen, and that's page nine six nine in these blue Bibles. Matthew five, look for the big five, verse seventeen, and page nine six nine. And Susan's going to read for us this morning. Just to make you feel oh, look at that.
1: Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven.
0: Thanks, Susan. It's just a short little passage there, but... It certainly um, packs a punch. There's a lot to scratch your head about in this passage, let me tell you. But not all of it is difficult to understand. There are some pieces in there that are pretty hard, but not all of it is difficult to understand. So we're going to start right at the other end of the spectrum. We're going to start with the stuff that is totally clear. Right on the surface that you couldn't miss if you tried. Where there's no space for doubt. And here's the first one. Jesus has not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Agreed? That's clear. He's not come. He repeats himself. So we don't have any questions about it. He has not come to abolish the law and the prophets. And law and prophets, that's like a summary term for all of the Jewish scriptures. The whole of our Old Testament in our modern Bibles. That's not abolished. It's not nullified. It's not canceled. Why does Jesus tell us that and rub it in? Well, he must think it's pretty likely that we're going to have some questions about that, that we're going to get the wrong end of the stick, that we'll be thinking something has, in fact, happened to the law and the prophets. Perhaps it's like um, this Old Testament stuff is past its best before date, and we really should chuck it out. But if that's what we're thinking we think it's not fit for purpose, Jesus tells us we're dead wrong. He's super clear. The Jewish scripture's not going anywhere. And then he goes on to say there's no edits, no redaction. There's no cropping. There's no touch up. There's no filter going to be applied. Every detail, he says, down to the smallest part of a letter is going to stay put until the show's over, until everything is done. Until heaven and earth disappears. He says that heaven and earth phrase again, well, encapsulates the whole of this creation. Remember right at the beginning of the Bible, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all of these things. Well, that's, that's what he's talking about. So look around. Is there any heavens or earth around still? Yes. Has any of this passed away? No. Okay, that's fairly clear, right? It's not changing until creation itself is gone. The Old Testament is still here. So there's clear thing number one for us, okay? The Old Testament is not canceled. She's really clear about that, right? There's no room for question. Clear thing number two, okay? People are meant to do and teach these commands, not set aside even the least of them. Again, that seems pretty clear, right? Anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others is going to be called least. Now, if you have ever read much of the Old Testament, or just to pick one example, you like bacon, This might be a little bit worrying, this idea, right? See, the law commands no pork. Now, we're getting into tricky territory, but let's not jump the gun. Let's not jump the gun. We have to admit, Jesus seems pretty clear about this. Now, some commentators want to take this phrase, these commands, and then want to say, these commands are not the commands of the Jewish law, not the commands coming from the law and the prophets, that Jesus was talking about just seconds ago. But these commands are ones that Jesus hasn't even spoken yet. That are about to be kind of brought on from the left field, the ones he's going to give us instead, which are different. Now, I find it it would be convenient if that was true, but that is really hard to believe for me that that's what Jesus meant here. He's gone on specifically about the law and the prophets. He's emphasized how there's no way even a tiny bit of that is going anywhere. And then he uses the phrase, these commands, and we're going to say that doesn't connect at all to some of the most famous bits of the law and prophets, the, the commands of God. I just, I just don't find that plausible. And notice this. When Jesus closes the whole section of teaching here with what's called this golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. You know what he says about that? He says straight up, this sums up the law and the prophets. Literally, this is the law and the prophets. So if you're saying that Jesus' commands, which he finishes with, do to others you should have them do to you are different from the law and the prophets. Well, Jesus has a disagreement with you there. He thinks they sum up the law and the prophets. I don't think we can plausibly say that Jesus' commands are something quite different to the commands contained in the law and the prophets, if Jesus equates his commands with them. So then, okay. These commands that we're meant to actually do come from the law, which always stands. And notice, um, surprising emphasis here, Jesus puts on doing and teaching. He repeats it twice. It's not just a, a careless detail, right? Set aside the least of one of these commands and teach others. Practices these commands and teaches them not a careless detail. He's talking more about than just personally embracing this law. He's about bringing others with you into that as well. Now, don't panic. We're not done, but we're just trying to gather up the things that seem pretty clear on the surface before we can wrestle with them, okay? And this this does seem fairly clear. Number one, the Old Testament is not canceled. It's not expired. It's not Um, Abolished, And number two, we are in fact meant to do and teach these commands. Stick with me. If you were in Jesus' original audience, you heard him set out these two big principles. You were thinking about tiny details of the law, these little like edge cases in these corners. And then you were thinking about people who practice that, people who teach that. Do you know who would have come to your mind? into your mind would have come these guys called the Pharisees and these guys called the teachers of the law. Who knows the detail of the law down to the letter? It is the Pharisees who practices them, even the least of the commands. Later on, Jesus is going to say these Pharisees, they tithe, that is, they set aside a tenth of even the herbs and spices in their food for God. The Pharisees do it, right, down to the detail. And who who teaches this stuff called the law? Well, well, the clue's in the name, right? The teachers of the law maybe teach the lot they do. That's right, the teachers of the law. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if you're thinking about people who know the details, who do the details, who teach the details, that's who you've got in mind. You're thinking, these are Jesus's apple of his eye. These are gonna be his perfect people. These people who treasure the details of the law, these scribes who teach it. If Jesus is a fan of anyone, he's gonna be a fan of them. Well, then you get the boom, mic drop moment. They're not. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do better than them, or you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That means these lovers of the detail, these knowers of the detail, these doers, these teachers of the detail, that certainly not translates the strongest possible negation in the original language. It's bold. It's underlined. There is zero room for confusion here as well. Jesus is utterly clear. And according to Jesus, only people surpassing, even them, these two superstar groups, could possibly enter. Pharisees, teachers of the law, certainly not. Mic drop, walk out. That's clear, right? Jesus is 100% clear that they are out and we're just gathering up the clear things, and we need to wrestle with it. It just doesn't seem to add up very well to me. I've been thinking about this and reading about this and wondering about this this week. The Old Testament isn't canceled. Those who do and teach it are honored, yet those who are known for doing, the Pharisees, those who are known for teaching, the teachers of the law, they certainly haven't made the grade. You have to exceed them. You have to surpass them to enter Jesus' new kingdom. Is this the most depressing Bible passage ever? Right? Is this what this is meant to be? Jesus' big point is, you suck. The, the, the very best ones among you, you suck. It's hopeless. Go home. Should we all stop here and quit? It's a touch early. We're not done yet. But Jesus is crystal clear. They didn't make the grade. They're not in. The big question for us is why? Okay, so let me give you option A, okay? Option A, they did pretty good. Just not good enough. Like like me in the Duolingo Sapphire League this this, this week, my fellow language learners. 177 XP, it's not very much. I thought it might be enough to carry me through, but no. There are crazy folk out there. News 321 XP in a single day. And there I was, off the top spot, beaten. Is, is, Is that the picture? that Jesus is trying to give us here, right? He wants us to go away with the idea that Pharisees, teachers of the law, good effort, nice try. Sadly, it's only a D. And you need a C or above. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, go and do likewise, but better, right? Is that that how this is meant to be understood? That is not Jesus' point here. Let me give you option B instead, okay? Option B, these Pharisees, These teachers of the law, the ones that Jesus rules out, even though the world thought they were winners, they they themselves thought they'd won. Society around them celebrated them like they had won. But they are playing completely the wrong game. It's like it's like they run over the line, throw the ball down, shout, touchdown! But we're playing cricket. (laughs) It's just not cricket. How much righteousness do they really have to their name? Well, here's how Jesus rates them later on in chapter 23. On the outside, you appear as righteous to people. On the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Yeah, they might appear righteous on the outside, but their actual factual score is zero. And and yes, you do have to surpass zero to enter the kingdom of heaven. The people Jesus had drawn into his mind with all this talk about the law and practicing and teaching, about details, the ones who were celebrated and wanted to be celebrated, they were, as Donald Trump would put it, total losers. (laughs) Remember our tagline, right, for this whole block of teaching. This is Jesus' blueprint, for his kingdom of transformed hearts. What he's not doing here is setting out an impossibly, ridiculously high bar. Saying, they did well. You need to do a whole lot better. What he's doing here is he's showing us any righteousness they thought they had. Any righteousness you thought they had. It's hollow. It's just an appearance. It's like a, a, an empty eggshell. You imagine that with the egg sucked ahead of the middle? Looks solid. Crush it like a grape. Just fragile, because there's nothing really there at all. Jesus is looking for something completely different in his kingdom. Not more of this hollow, outside righteousness. He's looking for another kind of righteousness altogether. Without this transformed heart, you simply cannot enter. Elsewhere, Jesus uses another way of describing this same essential, fundamental transformation, right? You must be born again, he says. You cannot even see the kingdom, let alone enter it, unless you've had this fundamental change. True righteousness, the, the righteousness of Jesus' kingdom, we've been talking about this for weeks now, is the evidence sprouting up out of the transformed heart that He planted in us, the gift that He gave to us. It's the inside out righteousness that's going to surpass all of that outside in fake righteousness. That inside-out righteousness is the evidence you're a part of Jesus' kingdom. That's the big point here. That's our main thing. Surpassing righteousness is an inside-out righteousness. That's That's the only kind of righteousness that really counts. That's the only real righteousness at all. And I think this is what helps us make sense of this otherwise challenging passage, right? It's a difficult passage. Surpassing righteousness must be an inside-out righteousness. Now, we could stop there, but we've got a few more minutes. So I thought, hey, let's not stop there. So with that insight in hand, let's see then if we can make any headway of understanding some of these really confusing-looking things earlier in this passage. Can we unlock any of the mysteries? Can we answer some of the questions it throws up? Because it sure does throw up some doozies of questions. Today's Q&R is going to be a winner, I can tell you. Except I'll just tell you, I don't know. So it'll be very short from that point of view. But let's start with an easy question that we can answer, okay? If Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law, he hasn't come to nullify or cancel this Old Testament, what exactly is he doing with it? What is his relationship to the whole teaching of the Old Testament? Everything up to here. Now notice... In Matthew 5, 17, he's not just come to keep it, right? He's not come to abolish the law and prophets. So what's he going to do instead? He's going to keep it. No. He's going to do it. No. He's not coming to replace it with a V2. He's coming to fulfill it. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and prophets. Not to abolish, but to fulfill them. Now, notice he says to fulfill them. Plural. Now, fulfilling prophecy, that's pretty easy, right? You understand what that is? Something's prophesied, is going to happen. Ta-da, it happens, fulfillment. That makes sense? How does the law get fulfilled? What does it mean to fulfill that? Uh, some people think it means to fill it up. Like the law gives you a kind of outline, and then you fulfill it by giving the details. But then you would have him fulfilling them, The prophecies in one way and the law in another way, in one sentence, in one word. A little bit confusing. I'm not sure. I think this is more about just like the prophets point to something that is to come, something that is not yet. The law has this future goal, something that is to come, something that is not yet. There's an objective, a goal it's pushing towards. There's somewhere the law is trying to go. And Jesus has shown us the Pharisees and the teachers' outside-in approach to getting where the law is going, doesn't work at all. Where his inside-out approach, that is how this law can be fulfilled. That's what the law was pointing to, the need for a transformed heart. So maybe you can fulfill the law by delivering the transformed heart it called for. Does that kind of make sense? And This is exactly the thing we find the Old Testament prophets speaking about. Famous verse from Jeremiah 31. You get this connection between God's law and transformed hearts. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. The law is going to be in a different place. It's not written out there on tablets of stone. It's written in here on a heart. An inside out rather than an outside in. Or what about Ezekiel 36, another famous passage. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Notice how this transformed heart, the indwelling spirit of God, fundamentally changes our relationship to the law. It makes that inside-out righteousness an actual possibility. Now, does that start to make some sense of how Jesus fulfills not just the prophets, but also the law? He also fulfills the, the kingdom that the law calls for, a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and truth. I forgot the rest of the Ezekiel quote. Should have turned over the page. I'll give you a new heart. Sounds like what we're talking about, doesn't it? A transformed heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. This is how the transformation comes about. I'll remove the heartstone, give you a heart of flesh, and put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, keep you, and be careful to keep my laws. Surpassing Righteousness. It's an inside-out righteousness. This is how Jesus is going to fulfill not just the prophets, but also the law. Okay, so one question, like not the hardest one. I started with the medium question. Let's take the harder question. If the Jewish law is unchanging, even in the smallest details, while the world endures? If there's dishonor for those who set aside the least of its commands and honor for those who practice and teach it, should we just all be going ultra-Jewish right now? From the heart, perhaps, inside out, perhaps, but still ultra-Jewish. Do we need to quit bacon and get down with Moses? Is this where we're going? Perhaps the best thing to do again here is to start with what's clear. Not everything is on the surface. Not everything is easy, but let's start with what is clear. Is there any rule at all, any law for Christians at all? Is there any way Christians are meant to behave, or are we just free to do what we want any old time? Well, every kingdom has a king. It's part of the nature of a kingdom. The king has authority in his kingdom. You say you're a part of your kingdom, then he is your king. Our king, Jesus, is not shy or secretive about the fact that he's taught his followers ways to behave, things to do, things he actually expects them to do and to teach. Jesus' parting words, often called the Great Commission, make this totally clear. Disciples are meant to teach. New disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. Are there any commands in Jesus' kingdom? Yes. Are you meant to obey them? Yes, absolutely. That is very clear. There is a law, a rule for Christians, the commands of Christ. He'll even end this block of teaching we're working our way right through just now by calling us, don't just listen to me, but do what I'm telling you. Put these words into practice. He ends his time on earth telling his disciples, teach people to obey these commands. It's fundamental in disciple making. so that's clear. There is a law for Christians. Second thing that's clear, Jesus' commands don't look the same as what we would understand from the Old Testament. They don't look the same as most of the Jews of his day would have understood you had to do in order to keep the law. Three of the most prominent features of the Old Testament law, food restrictions, Sabbath rest, circumcision. In the Gospels we see Jesus' understanding of the first two is radically different from the contemporary Jewish understanding. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out, Matthew 15, 11. He says, it is good and right To heal on the Sabbath, not only to rest. Matthew 12, 12. So Jesus is challenging the contemporary interpretation of two of those central commands. And the earliest church is completely clear. Circumcision is no longer required. Acts 15, if you want the story. Galatians chapter 5, if you want to read and think about the logic and the theology behind that. Jesus sees huge continuity between his commands and the Old Testament. Remember we talked about earlier, he concludes this block of teaching saying, do to others what you'd have them do to do. This sums up the law and the prophets. He doesn't see it as something different. He sees it in continuity. But at the same time, it can't mean Jesus is intending us to keep that law like the Jews of his day did. Or like Jews today would. Or to be quite honest, in the way that you and I probably would if we just opened the Old Testament and read it and tried to do what it said assuming they stood forever, these commands, they were unchanged in detail like Jesus has told us, we probably wouldn't come to these conclusions. I think it comes back to the idea of fulfilling the law, reaching its goal. Now, the, the goal of God's law was right living here on earth, right relationship with one another, right relationship with God, that goal still stands in every detail. And the question is, how is the goal of right relationships horizontally and right relationship vertically actually achieved? How can that come about? How is that fulfilled? And that's not by having the right set of rules to follow. The world's far too broken for that. We, uh, our own hearts are far too broken for that. It's not about having the right set of rules to follow, but it's about having the right heart to follow with. Right? Not the right set of rules to follow. It's much more about the right heart to follow with. Now, I know this is tricky stuff. People have spent their lives trying to get their heads around this. It's pretty easy to get tangled up in the details, confused in the sidelines, lost. But as we come to a close this morning, what I want us to do is focus to back in on what is clear. To fix in our minds these things and to try and take them with us out into the world. The the rightness that we need and that we long for, the rightness horizontally with other people and vertically with our God, that surpassing righteousness of the kingdom of heaven can only come from a new heart. It only comes from this God-transformed heart. The new heart is the only way into the kingdom. It's only this inside-out righteousness that leads into the life of the kingdom. And that new heart can only be yours through faith in Jesus, the one who fulfills the law and the prophets, the hinge, the kind of transforming point, the crux of this whole story. I know there's some confusing stuff here, but I want us to fix on what's clear. If I can invite John to come on up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask John to begin to play. I'm going to give us a a moment just to reflect. There's a lot of content and ideas and thoughts. Then I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing together in response. But just a moment to reflect first. There's a lot of stuff here, right? Is your head full? A lot of stuff here. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those who this morning know they need a transformed heart. Those who know that I have what it takes to be right with the people around them, to be right with you. God, thank you that this gift is freely available to us by your grace through Jesus. people reach out to you right now. Lord, please hear and answer and bring new hearts, new life, born again. I want to pray for those who have cried out to you in faith for a changed heart and feel like they've still got the same old stony one. Those who knew what it was to have a heart that was warm and now it feels cold. God, thank you that you don't give up on us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that you would breathe again on those cold and stony hearts and that you will work this miracle of transformation once more. And pray for those right now, Lord, who want to do your will, who want to go your way and just don't know what it is. We talked about how hard it is for us to understand rightly your law, your ways, and yet you have commands and patterns for us as our king. Please, Lord, lead and guide us. Make your way clear by moving our heart to keep and pursue your law in all its fullness, the right way to live with people with you. Please make your way clear and move us into it, God. And Lord, we want to finish by praising you that you worked this miracle of transformation, that when we turned from you, you didn't walk away and leave us, but you came after us, brought us back with the price of your own son, that you are the God who loves so much that you don't walk out you walk in. We praise you, Lord. Amen.
1: You can stay seated. Um, We'll sing this one and you can keep meditating on what Matt said. Until my heart is pure, until my way- Powerful. Breathe on me, breath of God. If you'd still like to ask questions or vote for the questions to be answered, you can still go to QR on a wrap or go to the QR at hopecityedinburgh.org forward slash QR. And we're going, to
0: test, we're going to tackle a couple, well, Matt is not me, <coughs>
1: the top questions in a few minutes. We love to interact with one another It hopes that if why don't you now just turn to somebody nearby that you've not spoken with yet this morning and take a minute to share your reflections on this morning's talk and discuss one of the questions on the screen if you prefer.